0: Hey there, welcome. It's Rachel, and today we have a special episode for you. My husband and I had the opportunity to share our hearts at Fellowship Community Church in Wellington, Ohio. Tom Wojnarowski is the pastor there, and I am excited to share this podcast episode with you. Listen in as my husband Matthew and I share our hearts on Psalm 104. Letting the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Well, some of you may be wondering, it says Matt, Matthew and Rachel Wojnarowski up there. Matthew usually goes by Matt. I typically go by Rachel Wojo. I have been an author for about 12 years now. And when I wrote my first book, the uh, publisher said, Rachel, um, we hate to break the news to you, but everyone on Twitter knows you as Rachel Wojo. Therefore, you probably should put on your book Rachel Wojo. So if you're wondering about the shortening of the name, that's where it started, and it's continued all these years. Obviously, Wojnarowski is not very easy to Google. And uh, Oh, it's on
1: there. Just look it up.
0: <laughs> we, we have a little... Um, I, don't, I, I wouldn't say it's a debate, but we, we have a little difference of opinion on the Google-ability of that name. Honestly, though, thank you so much for having us today. We're really privileged to be here, and uh, Tom said that it was a sacrifice for us to be here. Truthfully, it, it really is a privilege because any time we get to share about Jesus, then it's a privilege, and especially in the country that we're living in today. So um, before I, I get off track, I better open up in prayer, and um, is there anything you wanted to say before I open in prayer?
1: No. All right. I have plenty to say, trust me.
0: <laughs> All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the opportunity to share your word, our stories with this incredible group of people. And, God, I pray now that as each person hears the story, as they listen to your word, that they would be encouraged to know that their story is not over either, that you have a plan for each and every one of us and that we get to choose whether or not we're going to follow through with that plan. God, I pray that you would help us now to just hone our hearts into your word and god i pray for matt as he speaks that you would give him strength energy sustenance lord i pray that you would give him the ability to say the words that you've placed in his heart and that we would hear them because your spirit speaks to each one of us individually we praise you and thank you in advance for what you're going to do in this time in jesus name amen
1: Let me just kind of piggyback on what your pastor said. Um, You guys have the real deal in your pastor and joy. I'm not just saying that because he's my brother and he's given us a $10,000 love offering. Um, Right? Was it ten? dollars But... No, he he he's the real deal. He loves the Lord, and um, Joy loves the Lord just as much, maybe more. I don't know. Uh, Joy's definitely the rock. Uh, I've known Joy since we were actually graduated high school together in 1982. Sorry, gave your age away. We were uh, we were together since in school since the eighth grade, and then we graduated together in 1982. Same year, Tom and Joy got married, and um, I just want to say that it's it's an honor to be here with you folks. And like Rachel said, any any opportunity we have to to share our redemption story, uh, we we take advantage of that. And um, I will I'll warn you right now that I'm a big baby, so if I break down and cry multiple times. Don't be shocked. I'm just warning you ahead of time. And um, and one more thing. Pray for your pastor and pray for joy. They're, they're normal people like you guys. They go through the same hardships, the same trials, the same temptations as you folk. They're, they're just normal people that God has called to, to shepherd. And they need probably up more than the average person because of the responsibility that God has given them. The devil's out to attack his kids today. And when you have someone that is a shepherd and the shepherd's wife who are leading a flock, the devil's out to attack them even more. So uphold them in your prayers. I know that just kind of gets tossed around a lot. Pray for your pastor. But it really is meaningful and effective and God-honoring. So, we're going to talk today about redemption, a redemption story, and first, we're going to introduce our family, (laughs) since that's a big part of our lives, who we traveled with for 12 hours yesterday. Rachel, go ahead and do that.
0: Sure. Okay. So... Um, The farthest on the end there is Samuel, he just graduated from high school and he's headed to the University of Cincinnati to the School of Engineering. We have Tiffany and her husband Zach, they are our neighbors, dangerous place to be in, Um, and they both have professional careers, they're very successful in their careers. Tara, in that picture with the orange sweater by me, is actually going into her freshman year of high school. And Matt and I in the middle there with Tessa, our baby, who is going into middle school this year. Uh, and Tessa, yes, this is a few years old. This is from 2020, so they're both tall girls and playing volleyball. And we have Tristina and Michael, our graduates, who both are working to figure out what they want to do with their lives as they pursue their interests and careers. It's a house full. We have five at home. Ages are 21, 19, almost 18, 14, and 12. So it's a happening place. We have, um, should probably just put a revolving door on the front, you know, because you know how it works. When people know where the kids are, then that's where all the other kids wind up, too. So it's a happening place, but we are grateful and blessed.
1: And we run out of food quite often. (laughs) I just want you to know that.
0: I started to see if anybody wanted to guess how many rolls of toilet paper we used this week at the beach, but I'll, I'll I'll forget
1: that. We don't need to talk about that in church. So like I said, we're, we want to tell you our story of redemption, and um, I think everybody here could probably, if you think hard enough, could talk about being redeemed. If you are just a Christian alone, you have one of the best redemption stories there is. The fact that Christ died for you to save your soul and redeemed you is the greatest story you can tell. Sorry, we're all techie here. But so what does is, what is the word redeem actually mean? It's such a fitting definition to what we're going to talk about. To buy back, to get or win back. Just lost my definition, honey. Sorry, folks. I'm relying on tech here. It's such a fitting definition, that's why I wanted to read it. To free from what distresses or harms. To free from captivity by payment of ransom. To extricate from or help to overcome something detrimental. To release from blame or debt. To free from the consequences of sin. So all those definitions are going to apply to the Bible character we're going to kind of framework our message about, and that's Jonah. Sure. And we read we read chapter uh, 107 in Psalms today, just because of the fitting nature of what we're going to talk about.
0: I think the parts that I would emphasize are um, verse two. First of all, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands from east and west and from north and south. And then the next portion of the passage I would emphasize is verse 6. And this verse is repeated four times throughout chapter 107 of Psalms. Then they cried out to the Lord in their distress, and he delivered them from their distress. And it's so important to remember that when we turn to God in prayer, he does hear us. And he will answer, not always in our timing, but he does answer.
1: So when you you think about Jonah, what, what do you think about? Swallowed by a whale, All right? That's always what. There's there's kids' toys with that. <laughs> um, most people don't think of Jonah as a a story of redemption. And I was I was listening to a sermon earlier this summer from a pastor in West Virginia, and he he mentioned, uh, he talked about a different different way to view Jonah as a story of redemption and God giving him a second chance. And that kind of was the framework of why we chose this particular character. And there's just some interesting things that a lot of people don't really think about when they think of Jonah. So we're going to kind of talk about that today. So as you know, uh, Jonah is—he's known for rebelling against God, and he—he he was told by God, go to Nineveh, preach the gospel to them, or, or preach the word—the word—and preach to the Lord about, preach of the Lord to them about the destruction that's coming upon them. Mm-hmm. And he—he he didn't want to do that. He refused. It's kind of a debate about why he didn't want to go there, uh, whether he was afraid of the Assyrians, or of their barbaric nature, or whether he was just prejudiced against them. But he, he absolutely refused to go to the point that he went the opposite way. So Jonah got on, He went down to Joppa, which was kind of the southern part of, of Israel, He got on a ship to go to Tarshish, which, if you don't know, is in Spain. (laughs) So if you look at the the Mediterranean Sea, Spain is way to the west of Israel. It's about 2,500 miles from where he was at. So he he really uh, went the extra mile, so to speak, to go to to, uh, Tarshish to get away from the Lord. And the Bible says here that he ran from the presence of the Lord. as mentioned twice. And Jonah knew, being a servant of God, he, he knew he couldn't run far from the Lord, yet he still chose to. And I don't know if he thought because he was going so far away that he was getting away maybe just in his mind. But the Lord was not far from him, even though he might have thought that. Now what does it look like to run from God? I, I think all of us here could probably say at one point in our lives that we have run from him in some way or another. It might not be some overt rebellion where you're, you're doing whatever, just going off the deep end. But rebellion is going the opposite way from God. That could be something as simple as, not reading the Bible, not tithing. Things that we're supposed to do and we don't. Talking about someone, whispering, or having, uh, being envious or complaining. Those are forms of rebellion because you're doing what, you're not taking steps forward towards God and doing those. You're taking steps backwards. So Jonah kind of went to the extreme for that. And As much as we think when we rebel that we're running from God, we actually can't escape his grasp. If we're we're children of God, we're not going to escape his grasp. Just like those of us who have kids who, when they were little, they would run away and think they were running from you, and you'd kind of sneak up behind them, and they would turn around, and you're standing right there, just kind of scare them. That's what God is for us. When we think we're running from him, and when we turn, he's right there. He's waiting for us. And and Jonah's results of his life, he he paid a cost for what he did. First off, he paid a cost to to get on that boat. It wasn't cheap, I'm sure, to sail 2,500 miles with professional sailors. And obviously he paid a cost with when the storm arose and he was thrown overboard. You know, the sailors that sailed to Tarshish were professional sailors. They, they, they did that for a living. And they, they got to the point where they were so desperate and scared because of this storm that the Lord brought up that they were willing to throw over their cargo, which, is, which was their livelihood just to save Jonah. So they were they were that uh, they were they were that scared of this storm that came up which was another cost. That was the result of Jonah's rebellion and re- Jonah's sin that God brought that storm. The Bible says that the Lord hurled a storm on them. That's like that's the same word used when Saul hurled that that spirit David if you remember that story. So the Lord brought that storm. He appointed it. He hurled it upon them because of, of Jonah's sin. And Jonah was sleeping in the bottom of the boat, which kind of baffles me that somebody could fall asleep. The Bible says he was fast asleep in the bottom of the boat. Now how is that possible? You know, when you're living in sin, you you have so many emotions that sometimes you you try to sleep them away. There's a there's a, a note I looked up from a psychologist saying that a lot of times people that are depressed, are in despair, are guilty, they're down on themselves, they sleep a lot to kind of forget the situation they're in. And I don't know if that's why Jonah was sleeping in the boat, or perhaps he just didn't care. And I know from experience that that's possible. We'll get to that. But nevertheless, he was sleeping in the bottom of the boat and they had to come wake him up and say what are you doing you they call him a sleeping man i think here you sleeper <laughs> get up and pray to your god because we're about to perish here the soldiers are the uh, the the sailors were they're were desperate they're praying to their gods they're waking up Jonah and saying pray to your god he, maybe that'll work and he basically told them throw me overboard i'm the problem So he knew he was wrong, and his guilt, I think, was eating him up to the point where he didn't even care if he was alive anymore. He didn't know that God prepared a fish. In his mind, they were going to throw him overboard, and he was going to die. So he was willing to die because of his guilt, because of his sin, rather than just repent to the Lord and say, I'm sorry, forgive me, I'll go to Nineveh. He was willing to die because he was uh, in such rebellion and despair. So after he was thrown overboard, much to what uh, the sailors didn't want to do that, but after they did, the storm stopped. And the, what's funny in the Bible here is that the sailors actually con- got converted. They believed on the Lord. They worshiped the Lord, offered sacrifices and vows. So even even in the midst of Jonah's rebellion, God was still working his will that these sailors saw who the true god was. And Jonah was expecting to die. I mean in a storm in the ocean or the Mediterranean Sea, you get thrown overboard, you're not going to last long. Yet God had a another plan for him. The Bible says the Lord appointed a great fish. Now most people think that fish was a punishment, but actually it saved Jonah's life. And we're going to talk in a little bit about the, the, the times in our lives when God brought a great fish into our lives to swallow us up. And it was actually our path to redemption. It wasn't a punishment. After three days and three nights, it says Jonah was in the belly of the, the great fish and then he prayed. He prayed a rede- a, a redemption prayer, a, a prayer of repentance. And that flies fucking here. <laughs> Got a fly bothering me here. As my dad used to say, there's a devil in the, in that fly. <laughs> Whenever he would preach, and a fly would bother him. So Jonah found redemption in in what he thought probably was a punishment. He probably thought, okay, I just got swallowed by a great fish. I'm history. This is it. I'm done. I'm over. And then and, and I think after three days and three nights, the Bible says then he prayed, a prayer of repentance. And God honored that. And you know what happened next? Lumbered it up on the shore. And then kind of the kind of the, the, kind of the Key passage here is the Lord came to Jonah a second time. After all he had done and as much as he rebelled, God said, I'm not done yet. So he told him again, go to Nineveh. And Noah did. He went. So that's kind of a brief summary of Jonah. We're going to stop right there. We're not going to talk about the rest of his life. because This this applies more to what we're talking about. So we thought that by kind of giving a framework of of this pattern, a pattern of rebellion, uh, repercussions, regret, repentance, and renewal, or redemption, how that kind of fits into our individual stories. So we we would like to share that now with you. So, let me go ahead.
0: Well, you gave me the first point of rebellion. Geez. <laughs> um, well, I think we should put up the second picture of our family because there are parts of the story that we did not share with you initially. This picture is a little bit older. It goes back to 2017. And the biggest difference you would see in this picture is the young lady that is in front of us in the wheelchair. Her name is Taylor, and um, she was born September 21st, 1996. I was the wife of a preacher boy, someone who had planned to become a pastor. And he had finished college, had finished Bible college. We were in Bible college together. I grew up in a Christian home, went to Christian school, completed the circle by graduating from a Christian college, and here I was about to fulfill what I believed God had called me to do in being a pastor's wife and teaching his word. And three years into that journey, our sweet girl Taylor was born. She was very bubbly. I should have brought you a picture of her, little um, sweetheart full of joy she was born by emergency c-section and it would be not until she was age four when we were to receive her diagnosis of mucopolysaccharidosis, a rare genetic disorder that is neurologically degenerative. It's often called the childhood Alzheimer's. In the midst of Taylor being born not too long after that, I realized that my preacher husband was having an affair and he chose not to stop that affair and I wound up someplace I never dreamed that I would be a single mom divorced with a special needs child. And it was a very rude awakening for me because I had grown up in such a protective, beautiful home that I didn't understand the effects that sin had on on people on a regular basis. My dad had been a Sunday school teacher for 50 years. My mom was a loyal, faithful woman of God who took care of her family. I had five sisters and three brothers, and... It just was a very rude awakening for me to wind up single, divorced mom of a special needs child. And it wasn't until after that that we received a diagnosis for Taylor. I would say how that applies to the topic of rebellion um, and any of you who are listening today, you know, take, take what applies to your own individual story. But we just wanted to share what God has done in our lives. In my particular case, I was not the overt um, sinner, if you will, when it came to rebellion. You probably could have looked at me and, and thought that there was nothing wrong. But honestly, in my heart, I was so mad at God. I was mad at God for this twist of circumstances that I didn't expect. I was mad at my ex-husband for having the affair. I was mad at God for giving me a special needs child with a disease that, for which there was no cure. And that anger just about ate me up. It just about killed me. But I can tell you that just like this story in Psalm 107, when you cry out to God in your distress, He does answer. And so in my life for the part of rebellion, it really was just about succumbing my will to God's will and humbling myself in humility. And although the picture of it doesn't look the same as maybe someone else. That's what it looked like in my life. And I just wanted to share that part of it, that rebellion doesn't always look the same way for everyone.
1: Well, in my case, it's a little different. I was the overt sinner, (laughs) unfortunately. I was raised in a preacher's home.
2: are you tired of constantly telling yourself i shouldn't feel this way yet so many of us guilt trip or gaslight ourselves instead of working our way through those complicated feelings you should be a good friend even though you feel hurt by past trails you should be content even though you feel lonely or unfulfilled we've all been there haven't we but what if there was a way to reset these toxic mental tapes that sabotage our days. In her groundbreaking new book, I Shouldn't Feel This Way, Dr. Allison Cook encourages you to not just silence those thoughts, but actually come face to face with them. You can find emotional freedom. Learn to see through the haze of conflicted feelings and move forward in your life with confidence. Pairing biblically sound principles with over 20 years of research and clinical practice, Licensed therapist and best selling author Dr. Allison Cook guides you through a practical three step process to find the freedom you crave. Chain starts when you finally stop beating yourself up for the way that you feel and say, You know what? I do feel this way, and I can finally do something about it. Take the first step towards clarity and peace today with I Shouldn't Feel This Way by Dr. Allison Cook. Available now wherever books are sold.
1: As you probably know, our father went home to be with the Lord. Seven months ago, and obviously we're still hurting from that. That man could preach. Preaching was his second nature. He could probably do it in his sleep. He might have, I don't know, Mom. And I grew up under his ministry. As Tom can attest to this, you know, we grew up with our dad as the preacher. That was the norm and I knew I know that most of the time my life I was so proud to be the preacher's son. Unfortunately people that are preachers' kids aren't perfect. Usually they're the worst ones, to be honest, except for Tom. I think a lot of times kids that grow up in a Christian environment it's it's two one of two things. They either are so tired of that environment that they just rebel and say, Peck with it, I'm gonna go live my life, I'm gonna have some fun. I've been living in this sheltered life, my whole sheltered home, my whole life, and I'm going to go live it up. Either they just get tired of church, they get tired of being a role model, tired of being the preacher's kid. It, it's hard to say, but. Or they get immune to the thinking, there's no way I'm ever going to do that. I was raised in church. I could. Recite the Bible backwards and forwards. No little facts about the Bible that the average person has no idea. Think that is what it takes. But having the word up here, it's got to be here. It's got to be in your life. You just memorize it, talk about it, it doesn't mean anything. We're supposed to be living testimonies of Christ, not just speaking testimonies. My dad always bragged at the pulpit how much I knew about the Bible. He would embarrass me. Stand up, son. Recite all 66 books. Early dad, and I'm a 17 year old teenager. That's not cool, you know. That part I didn't like. (laughs) But having that word in your mind and not in your heart is dangerous. And I used to be so critical of people that were divorced that'll never be me no way that that's a weakness that's yeah no way that's never going to happen i i would I would have bet a million dollars when I got married the first time that I would never get divorced people that are are weak and shallow and Whatever. But that's dangerous. When when you think that you won't fall, you're, you're setting yourself up. And because of life situations at the time of my life, I was, I don't know if I was just down on myself or felt self-worth or I don't know what, but a lot of different things happened in my life at the time that I started to take my eyes off the Lord. And I was married at the time for about four years. And um, there was a young lady that I worked with that was attractive, laughed at all my jokes, liked the same music I liked, liked the same sports I liked. I thought, wow, interesting. Interesting the devil used that over about a 9 month period to kind of trap me and and deceive me and I'm not blaming the devil I'm blaming myself but after about 9 months of flirtatiousness and innuendos and thinking it's no big deal i i yielded to sin And I had an affair with her. And this was the preacher's kid. This is the the Christian who knew the Bible backwards and forwards. This was about 30 years ago, but it's still right here in my mind. And I convinced myself that this was the right thing to do. Because we loved each other. (laughs) What's love got to do with it? And I ended up getting divorced. I had a two year old daughter at the time that's Tiffany right there, second from the right. she was two and a half actually and uh ended up getting divorced. The church we were attending they they tried all of their all of their routine methods of how to deal with the situation, and I ended up getting kicked out of the church, turned over to Satan, as they called it. And I ended up moving in with this girl, and we lived together for two years. I lived in sin. We weren't married, obviously. She was not a Christian. Uh, Drunkenness, fornication, you name it. I'm not bragging, trust me. Her, her, um, or my ex-wife got remarried, and they're still married today after 30 years. Then I went down a path for about six years of just pain, uh, psychological pain, emotional pain, uh, heartbreak—like I, I can't even describe. And I, I I, I just lived like that for six years. After, after me and this young lady broke up, I didn't really make any attempts to get back to the Lord. And I met another girl who was unsaved, got involved with her, lived with her for two years. It's like we, we see the pattern here. <laughs> Both of these girls ripped my heart from my chest, but I felt I deserved it. Lord, you're you're paying me back for what I did to my ex-wife. One of the most painful things in that whole situation was how it affected my parents. I'm going to sing a song at the end of the service about people In our lives, that have prayed us through tough situations, and I know they did. Go ahead, honey. <laughs> yeah. More to come.
0: I guess I would just follow up by reminding you that rebellion comes in all different forms, and the Lord is the one who looks at the heart and sees and knows what's going on. We're not to be the judges but he is and so no matter what your life looks like right now he knows what what status your heart is in and the next portion of jonah's story after the rebellion is the results of his rebellion the repercussions and i feel like matt talked about that a little bit already as far as the repercussions and the results of his rebellion but i guess i would say In my situation, I was on the receiving end of some of the repercussion and the results. And I, first of all, would say that when I chose to marry that preacher boy, my parents were not too crazy about him. And they didn't say I shouldn't marry him, but they did ask me to think twice. And I thought I knew better than they did. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're here today listening to this, that Your parents know so much more than what you give them credit for. Their life experience is so valuable. And especially in this age that we currently live in where every piece of information is at your fingertips. And you can, technology-wise, we turn to Google multiple times a day, right? Don't know how to fix the dryer? Oh, let's YouTube it we all have the information right at our fingertips. and so, no, so I think that's valuable and I'm the first one to use it. But I think it's very dangerous if we discredit the experience of the generations before us. So young person, if you're here listening today, make sure that you value the people who have forged a path ahead of you, even if their path looked different than yours. I think the results that I learned during that time is that when things seem out of control, God is still in control. And he can take the ugliest, the worst situations and transform them to where you don't even recognize them anymore. I think the next portion after the results of Jonah's story are the regrets. And I've shared with you, my regret was that I wish I kind of had listened to my parents a little bit better at that point in my life but also I think that I wish I had been closer to the Lord spiritually I just didn't have that relationship and and you may say well gosh Rachel you you read your Bible every day it was a checkoff on the to-do list like Matt said it was it was up here but it had not taken root in my heart after all of the, do you have anything you want to say about the repercussion? After after the regrets, the rebellion, the results, the re, the regrets, then the next thing that happens in Jonah's life is repentance. And for me, God was orchestrating in my life in a crazy way, absolutely crazy way. I was single mom, special needs, working at um, a job just. Trying to get through the day, make ends meet, take care of my daughter, be responsible, pay the bills, all those things that are required as an, as a, an adult, a working adult. And I really was just trying to do those things. But thankfully, I had enough sense that even though those, those deep roots that I had would not allow me to miss church. And there was something about Sunday came around that was time to go to church. And I found a new home church, and I started attending there. I'd only been there a few months. I went to the adult Sunday school class, felt completely out of place. But I went, I showed up anyway. I said, Lord, if you're going to do work in my life, I have, to, I have to be in community. I have to know people. It was a part of who I was because, thankfully, my parents had ingrained that in me. And so I showed up. And God's love showed up, too, in all different ways through the hands of the the people who were in that community. And one of the ways that it showed up was very unexpected. I was sitting in the Sunday school class, and they said, have you ever heard of matchmaker.com, christianmatchmaker.com? I said, no, what's that? What are people doing nowadays? They said it's a, dating, it's a dating service, and you go online and you fill out your entire profile, which included your testimony of what you believe God is doing in your life and how he's moving and where you want to go in the future. You fill all that out, and it matches you with other people. Um, so this was before dating apps. We're dating ourselves. This was a long time ago. 99, there you go, before Y2K. And I said, I'm just curious. I'm curious about this, so I'll pop on and see what happens. I didn't put a picture up. I filled in the bare minimum that you could on the profile. And up popped all the matches. The top one was Matt Wojnarowski. 52% was our match. Well, I figured that was better than 50%. So, um, I I would like you to know, and he detests this part of the story, but I would like you to know that I signed up for a free trial. This is what you get. <laughs> on the
1: To kind of wrap up uh, what i said before, the, the results of my my lifestyle at the time and my choices, it resulted in a broken home, a broken relationship, broken testimony. Um, and those things are they're hard to get back, only by God's grace. Especially your testimony. So after six years of hell on earth, not to sound irreverent, but that's what it was, which I deserved, I felt. I, I earned it. God was paying me back. I was in the same situation that Jonah was in in the belly of the fish. And he was he was in that more than likely, based on the wording, he was probably in that fish's belly for three days and three nights before he started to pray his prayer of repentance. So I think that he felt like God was done with him. God was going to just take his life. But I think he realized, maybe God's not done with me yet. I'm a servant of God. He was a prophet. He knew God. God talked to him. God spoke to him. I think he realized that God's not done with me. And you could tell by his prayer. Just the just the the, the anxiety and distress in his words, the, the extremes in his words. I called out to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, which is basically the center of the earth, where hell and Hades were. The depths of the earth. That's that's how vast his Anguish was. You cast me in the deep, into the heart of the seas. The floods surrounded me. The waves and billows passed over me. I'm driven from your sight. Yet again I shall look upon your temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars close upon me forever. Yet you brought my life up from the pit. O Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regards to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love, but with the voice of thanksgiving will I sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You know, Tom talked about praising before. One of the signs of a repentant heart is, praising heart because you are so thankful for what God has given you, where you've come from and you know what it's like on the other side and God brought you out of that so you're automatically going to praise Him and say things like salvation belongs to the Lord after about six years of, of, of living the way I was living I was at the bottom of the barrel Emotionally, financially, uh, mentally, spiritually. You know, when you're when you're in the in the bottom of the barrel, the bottom of the pit, as Jonah says, there's no place else to look but up. That's all you got. So finally, I I, I came to my senses, like the prodigal son said I'm done <laughs> I can't live this life anymore I want to go back and start over and do what it takes and about a year and a half later well first off I got involved in the church heavily my, uh, my youth my music minister got me involved with the choir and with singing basically forced me to sing I didn't want to but he he made me do it and I fell in love with it I'm not as good as your pastor but I guess I do okay (laughs) he's a very talented guy if you guys don't know that and I decided to just get involved with the church and do what it takes to to, to honor the Lord and pray that He would He would restore my life, to get it back to what it should be. And it took about a year and a half till I met this beautiful lady here on this Christian website that I was paying fifteen dollars a month for. And God God brought us together in a miraculous way, even though family didn't really. Think it was that great at the time, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> Stay off the internet. But look what you got—this beautiful <laughs> daughter-in-law. But um, God, God was all over that. He He knew that. He knew who I needed. And uh, he, he couldn't have given me a more a perfect woman. Uh, to to marry and to start our, our lives over. Mm-hmm. And we we kind of tell our story, we call it our redemption story, that God would bring someone who was an adulterer to the wife of an adulterer and get them together. That was part of his plan. And we always kind of marvel in that, that... that because of our past circumstances, how we even ended up together, and we've been married for twenty-three years now. And um, it 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 never ceases to amaze me how how blessed I am. And hopefully, she could say the same thing.
0: Well, I was just going to say that in Matt's testimony on that um, dating website, his words were so moving that. I couldn't help but wonder what he was thinking about his future plans because in his testimony it said, I want to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. And it said, I'm currently serving in my church and I'm um, on part of the worship team and um, singing in the choir every week. And I want to raise my daughter to serve the Lord. And those three points were so powerful and so pivotal for me because I knew he wanted what I wanted. I knew that he wanted to serve the Lord. I knew that he wanted his children to be raised to serve the Lord. And I knew that he was currently doing it. It wasn't just a pipe dream. And so I just want to encourage you again if you're out there thinking about your future Make sure it aligns with God's will, and God's way, and God's word. I'm so appreciative of how God brought us together, and there are so many little parts of the story that we could tell you how he weaved us together, especially our backgrounds and how they fit each other so well, but we met at the Cincinnati Zoo for the first time, and he had his daughter in tow, and I had my little special needs girl in tow, and um i had forgotten a stroller and he packed her around all day because she was too too tired to walk and it was Debbie
1: a too. <laughs> it,
0: it was a beautiful a beautiful beginning of where God took us and and we married shortly after that and God grew our family as you can see uh, generously gave us more children and brought us together in a special way the part that i haven't shared is that as we sang so much of the praise that we sang today talks about one specific song you give and take away you give and take away and the next portion says my heart will choose to say lord blessed be your name we have con- been, we've continued to be faced with choices, right? Those choices have included letting go of our special needs daughter after watching her suffer with neurological degeneration and go from being a sweet little bubbly girl who called a happy meal a cheese hammer and fin fi, who loved to say that she was. Well, she sort of took care of both thank you and you're welcome at once for you by just blending it together and saying, thank you, welcome. And she just had so many precious, sweet little ways of communicating. But she gradually lost all of those ways of communication. She gradually lost the ability to call us Mommy and Daddy Matt. She gradually lost her ability to chew and swallow. And on January 2nd, 2019, God chose to take her home. And so when I sit here today and I tell you that you have a choice to choose joy, some people would say, well, it's an either or. It's a joy or sorrow. Now, I'm here to tell you that our lives speak to this testament, that we get to hold joy and sorrow together. They can be held in the same hand. And while you're absorbing that sorrow and that grief of whatever loss you've experienced, because for some of you, I know it's it's not a daughter. It's not a marriage. It's something else, it's a job, it's a grandparent, it's a parent. Whatever that loss is, we get to choose in our redemption story, whether we hold the joy and sorrow together, or whether we allow them to float separately and constantly have to figure out how to live. And so when we're praising the Lord, I think one of the most precious parts of the story for me Is that when Taylor was called home to be with Jesus, I sat in that room. It was just the two of us. That's a long story that I won't go into, but the two of us in her bedroom. And God called her home. And I thought, she's not there to hold anymore. And I felt the Lord whisper to my heart, no, she's not there to hold But I am holding both of you and you will see her again and so I just want to encourage you today as you're thinking about your own redemption story and what God has planned for you this is not the end and don't be like Jonah with seaweed wrapped around your head before you realize three days later I'm like dude couldn't you have thought about that three days ago I mean I sure would have it's easy to point fingers at someone else's issues, right? But when it's our own, it's a tougher pill to swallow.
1: You know, when you're at a stage of repentance from God, He's, he's one about face from you. Like I said before, you're running from God he He's one I'm sorry, forgive me, I repent of my sin, turn around, he's one about face from you. So you're not too far from god whatever whatever that situation would be in your life.
0: I think today you might be in the middle of a mess, <laughs> you might be on the other side of a mess, or maybe. You're just praying for someone else to be able to get through their mess. I just wanted to encourage you today, both Matt and I, that God is near the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. And this is not the end of your story. He longs to not only restore you, not just restore you, not just make you where you were, but redeem you. Meaning it's going to be far better than you could have asked or imagined. As I close this out in prayer today, I want to just ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment and think about who it is in your life, and maybe it's you, who just really needs prayer right now, needs to be able to know that you're crying out in distress and the Lord hears you whether it's you yourself or for someone that you know someone with cancer someone with heart issues someone who is rebelled and is clearly running away from God it's never too late for that about face and as Matt prepares to sing this song I'm praying I just want to close this out. Lord Jesus, thank you that you never give up on us. Thank you that you are pursuing us. You are chasing us. And that if we choose, instead of running from you, not only can we run to you, but we can then run with you. And that our story can then be told. As the psalmist said, let the redeemed tell their story our story can be told for your glory that you have redeemed us and this is what we have to praise and thank you for and that even as you give and take away we praise you and we love you because we know that this is not the end we're living like heaven is for real today we would love it if you would take a moment to go to rachelwojo.com And enjoy a free book of calming prayers. Ten free prayers to calm your heart in the chaos of life. Enjoy those prayers. I'll put the link in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening in today. Until next time, God sees you and knows your need. Thank you for listening to the Untangling Life Podcast with Rachel Wojo. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, be sure to subscribe. For show notes and free resources, visit rachelwojo.com. See you again soon.
2: everybody i'm dale and i'm tamra we're hosts of the kynos project podcast where we help you tackle ancient christian truths in an everyday settings to learn more and subscribe go to lifeaudio.com.